Welcome to Season 3 of The Peed Space. I'm Simone Howell with Palette Life Sciences. If you haven't already, please subscribe to The Peed Space on Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts to be notified when a new episode is released. Palette Life Sciences, sponsor of this podcast, is committed to bringing educational tools such as The Peed Space to share best practices and compelling conversations across a wide variety of pediatric urology and VUR topics. The content of today's episode is solely the opinion of Dr. Elizabeth Race, infectious disease specialist in Dallas, Texas. In this episode, Dr. Race discusses the prevalence of drug-resistant bacteria in our community, especially as it relates to complicated UTI in a child with VUR. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Elizabeth Race. Hi, this is Dr. Elizabeth Race, and thank you for joining us. And what I'd like to do at this time is to review several aspects of complicated UTIs and the impact of antimicrobial resistance in general on urinary tract infections. I will say, by way of disclosure, my perspective is that of an infectious disease practitioner. I was an associate professor at the University of Texas at in Dallas, and I spent about 12 years at that institution working alongside some of our excellent pediatric infectious disease specialists at Children's Hospital here in Dallas. And through this, I developed an interest in gram-negative rod resistance and the impact of prophylactic antimicrobials on this resistance. But I will be telling you the perspective of antibiotics and their impact on normal flora, as well as pathogens from the perspective of an infectious disease specialist, not so much that of a pediatric urologist. And so I want to be clear on that up front and discuss what some of the long-term impacts of antimicrobial use can be, many of which we're quite familiar with, but some of which hopefully will be new and enlightening for all of us to talk about. So the etiology of UTIs you've heard about in other podcasts, they can be complicated or uncomplicated. We're all familiar with uncomplicated UTI pathogens such as E. coli, Klebsiella, and Staphylococcus, some, some of the coagulative Staphylococci. Complicated UTIs are more going to include Proteus, Pseudomonas, Enterobacters, and Enterococcus. And all of these have some propensity towards drug resistance. The problem is children with ureteral reflux and other structural abnormalities tend to get complicated UTIs. Culture will be necessary for these individuals. Follow-up tests of cure may also be indicated. The problem from a resistance standpoint is that the pathogens associated with complicated UTIs right up and in the beginning tend to be more antimicrobially resistant. For example, data from infectious diseases journal shows ampicillin resistance can be as high as 70%. That would be ampicillin and amoxicillin, 70% resistance in complicated UTI cases. First generation cephalosporins, that's Keflex, uh, still sometimes used for UTIs, about 50% resistance rate. And Bactrim, we're very familiar with trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole having a 20% E. coli resistance rate in the general population. It can be as high as 37 to 40% in complicated UTI. So just knowing that a UTI fulfills the requirement or the definition of being complicated is associated with drug resistance. So where does the resistance come from? We're pretty familiar with some of the risk factors of selective pressure and overuse in the community. 
but prolonged antimicrobial courses are also associated with resistance. And included in prolonged courses are prophylactic and outpatient antimicrobial use. You may have heard in other podcasts about veterinary and agricultural overuse and appropriate use of antimicrobials, but what I'm going to focus on is the impact of prophylactic antibiotics and resistance. Well, there's a nice review by Bolgren about what is the ideal prophylactic antibiotic for urinary tract infections. Well, it should have efficacy against the majority of uropathogens. It should cause minimal bacterial resistance, and it should have little ecological impact on indigenous or normal bacterial flora. Well, as you probably know, we don't have a single antibiotic that fulfills all of these criteria. In fact, we have very few that fulfill any of these criteria. So antibacterial prophylaxis in children with ureteral reflux has become pretty commonplace, but the data is very interesting when you look at it. There are some disadvantages of chronic prophylaxis. There could be increased emergence of resistant strains leading to breakthrough infections. There is data to suggest that there is increased spread of resistant bacterial strains in the community. And these factors lead together to make trimethoprim sulfa somewhat less attractive as a chronic prophylactic antibiotic. Well, this has been studied and this low-dose antimicrobial prophylaxis can lead to lower levels in the urinary tract, and that can lead to resistance in E. coli. So this has actually been studied in a number of situations, and it was found that low-dose prophylactic antibiotics in children with ureteral reflux leads to a urinary level of trimethoprim sulfa or Bactrim that was sustained only for 60% of a 24-hour period in those kids. In other words, the dose of trimethoprim sulfa, while it is being maintained, as a low dose does not actually achieve therapeutic efficacy. Well, if you look at the association between antimicrobial prophylaxis and resistance, there's some data from Canada from the Allen study published in the Canadian Medical Association. They looked at a pediatric referral center and examined bacterial resistance patterns. They found a typical 45 to 50% resistance rate to ampicillin, 31% to Bactrim, and multi-drug resistance strains of E. coli. Well, what's happening in the United States? What do we know about chronic Bactrim prophylaxis and induction of resistant E. coli. Incredibly, there have been some studies done in immunocompromised patients. And one of my former colleagues, Dr. Tom Chiller, who's been at the CDC now for many years, looked at immunocompromised patients placed on daily Bactrim. In this case, it was individuals with HIV. And he found that after just two months of daily Bactrim, 99% of patients had developed Bactrim-resistant E. coli. And the impact on additional flora, these individuals were following prospectively and found that subsequently, if those individuals developed a diarrheal illness, 31% of them had Bactrim-resistant Salmonella or Shigella. And so there was an impact not only on the E. coli and other endogenous flora, but also on other pathogens leading to diarrhea. Another question might be, does exposure to antibiotics spread to other individuals in the household? And there's a nice study by Tenore in the, presented at the International Conference of Antimicrobial Agents in Chemotherapy, looking at antibiotic-treated patients and household members. They did serial stool cultures. Patients were receiving amoxicillin and other antibiotics, and they found that 18% of previously non-colonized household members contracted antibiotic-resistant E. coli from being exposed to a family member who was taking an antimicrobial agent. So the conclusion here is antibiotics triggers not only resistance in the patient, but also clustering of drug-resistant E. coli in a 
associated household members. What about communities? Communities can suffer clonal outbreaks of drug-resistant E. coli. This was also shown in a Canadian study that was also presented at the International Conference of Antimicrobial Agents and Chemotherapy. And this was a description of a outbreak of E. coli with extended spectrum beta-lactamase producing. We call them ESBLs, or you could think of them as very drug-resistant E. coli's. And this had spread from individuals and in fact throughout the entire community. Well, what about Texas? where I practice, the Bactrim resistance rate for E. coli is running somewhere around 25%. It can be as high as 30%. And there's been a remarkable level of interest in this, the association of trimethoprim or sulfur resistance with not only its impact on E. coli, but the impact on other pathogens. And so now I'm going to switch gears a little bit, not to talk about the use of antibiotics and their impact on urinary pathogens, but if we are using prophylactic antibiotics, in children, what could be their impact on other common infectious diseases in pediatric patients, specifically strep pneumoniae or pneumococcal infections? Well, strep pneumo, of course, is the most common cause of bacterial pneumonia and also sinusitis and historically otitis infections. It's been dramatically reduced in recent years with the use of conjugate pneumococcal vaccines. But we now know that Chronic prophylactic urinary antibiotics can trigger drug resistance in the respiratory pathogens in children. And there's been a lot of data on this. In fact, exposure to certain typical UTI prophylactic antimicrobial agents, think of cephalexin, that's Keflex, or sulfatrimethoprim or Bactrim, and those antibiotics can actually trigger multi-drug resistant strep pneumo. It's very remarkable that exposure to typically commonly used antibiotics can turn on a cassette of multi-drug resistance genes. And so what is the data to suggest that? Well, there's a very nice study in our favorite journal, Clinical Infectious Disease, by Rue and Hasbin. And these investigators looked at the number of antibiotic courses given in a six-month period and the risk for people being diagnosed with drug-resistant pneumococcal bacteremia. So it's really saying whatever the reason for the use of Keflex or Bactrim, what was the consequence for strep pneumo? And they found that if individuals had had one course of a beta-lactam, that could be Keflex, could be amoxicillin or Augmentin, that almost quadrupled the risk for drug-resistant strep pneumo in the bloodstream. If patients had had two or more courses, the risk for resistant strep pneumo was 34-fold higher. If patients had had sulfonamide, so now we're back to sulfatrimethoprim, one course almost doubled the risk for resistant pneumococcal bacteremia. Two or more courses raised it over seven-fold. So the conclusion here is when you're focusing on urinary pathogens, yes, antibiotics are associated with resistance, but those same antibiotics can trigger multi-drug resistant cassettes in a common pathogen like strep pneumo, leading to an unsuspected and unrelated problem, which is a widespread prevalence of drug resistant strep pneumo in children as well as in adults. They found that the length of therapy also impacted the risk for drug resistant pneumococcal bacteremia. In fact, individuals who had been on prophylactic antibiotics for three months were likely to have drug-resistant strep pneumo. One month was associated with somewhat less risk. So now you're looking at not only the choice of the antimicrobial agent, but the duration of therapy. So what does the WHO have to offer us in the CDC? They've asked us, as we're all very familiar with, to reduce antimicrobial resistance, to optimize antibiotic selection, dose, and duration of therapy. They favor treating infections more aggressively with higher doses of antibiotics 
electronics and shorter courses of therapy. This is accessed off the WHO website. And as an infectious disease practitioner, I can tell you over the years, we have migrated away from chronic prophylaxis and a little bit towards shorter course therapy with carefully selected antimicrobial agents. We're also avoiding giving excess antimicrobial agents in several situations. We've been advised to reduce giving antibacterial agents for acute viral bronchitis, to avoid giving excess antibiotics for otitis media in otherwise healthy children, to avoid giving excess antibiotics for colonized urinary catheters in individuals who don't have pyuria fever or leukocytosis were advised to just change out the catheter. So these are some of the common sense recommendations. And so when you consider children with ureteral reflux and other patients who have complicated urinary tract infections, you always have to weigh the risk benefit. There's data to show they are efficacious, but now in the modern era with the multiple complications of chronic antimicrobial use, we have to consider what is the impact not only on the E. coli, the E. coli found in our state, in our community, and in, even in family members of the affected patients, but we also have to think about the broader impact on other microbes in the same patients. I'd like to leave you with the thought from the CDC, the 12 steps to prevent antimicrobial resistance. The first group of recommendations involves preventing infection with things like immunizations and removing catheters. There's a large section on using antimicrobials wisely. And there's some good clinical pearls here. One is to practice antimicrobial control. That's if you're in a hospital setting. Another one is to use local data. Do consult your institution's antimicrobial susceptibility data. Call microbiology, get to know those folks because they can tell you what's going on at your institution. Therefore, you can select the antimicrobials more carefully. Treat infection, not contamination and not colonization. And also stop treatment when infection is cured or unlikely. And I would add to these, consider alternatives to chronic prophylactic antimicrobial use if those alternatives are safe and effective. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for joining us this week on The Pete Space. Please share this episode with your colleagues while we deliver more pediatric urology-focused content. To stay updated on the latest educational content, check out the Deflux Learning Center on deflux.com and follow our social media accounts. Additionally, you can learn more about our company and our products at palatelifesciences.com. 